Hi, my name is Adam. Hello, hello. Good to see all of you here today. Uh, for those of you um, who haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Adam. I said that already, so you know that. Uh, I am the executive director and pastoral counselor at Brickhouse Family Ministries. And you may be wondering yourself right now, what is Brickhouse Family Ministries? I'll let you know. Uh, we are a, a Christ-centered uh, counseling facility offering residential and non-residential counseling to teens and their families. Um, if you have more questions about that, I'd love to answer them as best I can. Um, help with that after the service if you'd like. But that's not the primary reason I'm here today. The primary reason I'm here today is to preach, to share God's Word with you. So we'll be looking at Mark chapter 13. But before we really start digging into that, because this, this text is, is kind of a complicated text. Like there's some, like, I don't want to say weird things going on, but there's some weird things going on uh, in this text. Jesus is talking about things that are to come in the future. And some of it gets kind of strange, so I kind of want to set it up. Part of what I think Jesus is talking about here for us today and for the disciples then is making sure that we stand firm in the midst of chaos. Make sure that we stay connected to God, we stay firm on His truth, regardless of what circumstances are around us. Because sometimes circumstances are a bit crazy, so to say, right? Sometimes... Sometimes things get weird, uh, just the nature of life. For the past month, uh, I've been doing this fundraiser for the ministry. We call it the Brick House Strong uh, Murph Challenge, where every day in the month of March, except for Sundays, because Sundays are a rest day to sleep and eat lots of food, uh, and go to church, of course, but sleep and eat lots of food, too. Uh, so every day I would do this workout called Murph. And for those of you who don't know what Murph is, it's a workout named after Navy SEAL Michael Murphy, who died uh, while trying to bring in reinforcements to save his friends, um, his brothers in arms. Uh, the workout consists of running a mile, and then you come back and you do 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and then run another mile, which is just this is a lot of fun. Like, and why wouldn't you do that last mile at the end, right? Because what's better than running than after you've ran more? Like, it just it doesn't get any better than that, right? So you may be asking yourself, why would Adam do that? Good question. Like, I asked myself that a few times, especially Tuesday. I'll get to that in a moment. Tuesday, I was really asking myself that. Why are you doing this, Adam? Uh, the main reasons, few reasons, was a fundraiser for the ministry an awareness raiser for the ministry. But the big thing was to try to show to myself, to our residents, to anybody else who were paying attention, that if something matters to you, if something's important to you, then you fight for it. Then you make sacrifices for it. You do things that to other people may not make a whole lot of sense. It's things that are hard and tough sometimes. Take, for example, if um, your family is something that's important to you, then you make sacrifices to be with your family, right? You can't just tell your kids, tell your spouse that, hey, you're really important to me, and then go do whatever it is that you want because they're not going to see that you're actually important to them, right? So you make a sacrifice to make that thing important to you, to stand firm on that. Maybe health is something that's really important to you. So you make sacrifices in order to increase your health. So maybe instead of sitting down, eating the whole bag of Doritos, you just eat half right? Like, you just eat, just eat half the bag. That's, that's what I've done for my life. I just eat half a bag of Doritos at a time instead of a full bag. It's changed my life. Um, 
Anyways, that's, a, that's, a, that's an easy sacrifice. I can sign up for that one. Anyway, but you make sacrifices for it, right? Maybe, maybe God's word, maybe faith is something that up to this point in your life has never really been that important to you, but for some reason suddenly it's become very important to you. God has pricked your heart in some way. So maybe now you get up a little bit earlier, you stay up a little bit later, you spend time in the Bible, you spend time in prayer. Maybe instead of binge-watching three hours in Netflix, you just do one hour and you devote the rest of it to Bible study and sleep. Because let's be honest, I think all of us have probably fallen asleep at one point or another while we're praying. Can I get an amen to that? Okay, a few of us, the rest of you will pray for you. Uh, so, but the things that are important to us we make sacrifices for them. We're willing to do what needs to be done to stand firm, regardless of what the world may tell us, regardless of what the situation may tell us. If something is important to us, then we, we try really hard to make it happen, right? And I think that's part of what Jesus is getting at here. He's trying to tell his disciples and all of us that there's coming a time, and somewhat even now, that it's going to be hard for you to stand firm for me. It's going to be hard for you to continue to follow me, to continue to serve me, because the world is going to get chaotic. Life is going to get chaotic. So let's get into the text. Mark chapter 13, verse 1 is where where we will start. Mark chapter 13, verse 1. And I'm not reading the whole text today. We're just doing part of it um, for today. So as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings... Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now, sometimes when we read the Bible, and this is really important, especially for this text, sometimes when we read the Bible, we read it as if it's like like a how-to book or like like a dry, boring text, and we forget that these are actual things that actually happen to people. So when my kids were younger, we'd read them the stories of like David and Goliath and Daniel in the lion's den and Rackshack and Benny from VeggieTales. Um, that wasn't their actual names. But anyway, we would tell them those stories and read them to me. And my son would say, that actually happened, didn't it, Dad? I'm like, yes, son. Like David actually killed a giant. That's awesome, isn't it? He'd be like, yes, that is. I little boy loved that story. Everybody loves that story. Let's be honest. Who doesn't love the story of David and Goliath, right? But we have to remember that these things actually happen. So these are actual people talking to Jesus, right? And the temple was an actual building. Like it was this huge, massive thing that meant a lot to the people of Israel. It was um, commissioned and paid for um, by Herod the Great, who wasn't actually that great, but that's he was the king, so that's kind of the name people gave him because he'd kill them if he didn't. Anyways, uh, but it's this beautiful building that was much more than just, it was a church, it was a place of worship, but it was this religious and political symbol also. It was so many things wrapped up into that. And the disciples were like, look at this massive building, Jesus. Isn't it amazing? Look how cool it is. As if Jesus had never been there before. Like, like did they think like Jesus had never been to Jerusalem? I better like give him the tour because he's never seen it before. But they're going on about on about this, and Jesus kind of flippantly, it'll be destroyed one day. Like every building, every stone will be brought down and destroyed. Now, imagine for a moment, again, because this really happened, we've got to use our imaginations, that you're walking in downtown Bluffton, right? And you're trying to show a friend, look at the courthouse. Look at this amazing courthouse. It's got the clock on it, and it's stone, and it's neat. I'm not good with architecture. Uh, 
But it's this neat building, right? And your friend was like, one day, it'll all be destroyed. And then just walked away. <laughs> you'd be like, what's wrong with you? Like, like if I said it to you, you'd be like, Adam's crazy. Like, what's, what's wrong with Adam? But Jesus wasn't just a normal guy, right? Jesus, they'd seen this man walk on water. They'd seen this man open up blind eyes. They'd seen this man like, do phenomenal things, feed 5,000 people, 4,000 people with just like a Lunchable. <laughs> it, was like, it was all he needed. He's done phenomenal, phenomenal miracles. So when, they, when he says this to them, like, whoa, like, this is something. Now let's bring this down just another level to our personal lives. Have you ever had these moments where you, like, you take all your plans like you, you take all the things that you hope to do with your life, all the things you think you have going on, and take them to Jesus. Like, look at what I'm doing, Jesus. Isn't it awesome? I don't know if anybody else does that. I don't know why I did that. But you like, bring all these things to Jesus, and you get this feeling in your head that Jesus is like, one day, all of it will crumble. And then he just walks away. Like, you'd probably chase after him, right? Like, what are you talking about? Right? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we've had moments like that right? We've had weeks like that. Maybe we've had months like that. Or it feels like everything around us is just falling apart. Like we put our hope and our trust in this thing, and then it's like, and it just falls apart. And we're like, okay, let's try this, this relationship over here. And then that thing just, just falls apart, right? Maybe it was a job that didn't come through. Maybe it was a job that you lost. Maybe it was, like I said, a relationship or friendship where you thought it was there. You thought it was this massive, beautiful thing, and then it just collapsed. So what do you do then? What do you do when you're living in, the wor- in a world where the, the center of your world, which is very much what the temple was to these people, crumbles and falls apart? Like, how do you move forward then? Like, you could curl up in a ball and cry, and that might be acceptable for a little bit of time, right? But we can't stay there. So how do we move on from that? We'll talk more about that. Well, going on to verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? So the disciples, Peter, James, and John, it makes sense that they would come to him and say, like, Lord, if everything's going to fall apart around me, can you give me an idea of when that is? Like, I'd like to schedule around that. Like, if my world is going to collapse around me, can, can I pencil that in on my calendar so I know not to have any lunch plans that day? Like, I need to know when this is going to happen. But we don't know when chaos is going to happen in our life, do we? Like, we don't know when those crazy things are happening. We can't be like, it's Monday. Well, actually, it probably is going to be a Monday because Mondays are when Mondays happen. But in all actually, like, we don't know. It could be a Tuesday. It could be a Thursday. It could be next month. It could be next year. Like, we don't know when these things are going to happen to us. But the disciples, they very much wanted to know. And I like how Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, Watch out, that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of the birth pains. And I just picture Peter, James, and John just like, 
what? It's not, it's not what I was asking. Like, I was asking for a date, Jesus. Like, I need to put this on my calendar, on my Google calendar so my whole family can see it, right? That's what I need to do here. And Jesus instead comes at them like, but wait, there's more. It's like, like a bad infomercial, right? He just gives them, no, no, it's not just going to be this. There's going to be this happen, and that happen, and that happen. So the disciples go from scared, coming to talk to Jesus, and then it feels like it just gets worse, which really doesn't feel that hopeful, does it? Like you go to your friend, and you say, friend, I'm having a really hard time with this, and your friend's like, let me tell you all the other things that could possibly go wrong for you. Let's just sit and talk about that for a while, right? Like, why are, why are you Job's friends? Like, why are, you, why are you talking to me like that? That was a Bible joke. Job's friends were bad. They weren't very good friends. Anyways, <clears throat> it was a pastor joke. It's a bad one. Shouldn't do that one. Sometimes I do that. I tell jokes. They're not that funny, but I pretend that they are, so you're more than welcome to pretend with me. It's okay. <laughs> but in all actuality, I think this is actually hopeful, right? To me, this is encouraging, Jesus, he tells them, it's all going to fall apart. It's all going to get worse. But in the back of our minds, like, we kind of know that already, right? Like, we know that we live in a fallen, sinful world. We know that this, this world that we live in is not what our hearts were created for. C.S. Lewis has a great quote about this that I can't remember all of it right now. But he talks about how the fact that our hearts long for something else tell us that we were created for something else. Like there's something better that we can be living. And that's, that's the world that God created us for, that we'll see one day when the new heavens, the new earth, and all of that happens, right? When Jesus comes back, I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. Like, but we're not there yet, and we know that. So when Jesus tells his disciples, like, it's going to get bad. Like, it's gonna, it's gonna, you're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be famines and pestilence and earthquakes. And, uh, like, that should be hopeful. Because we know that it's not a surprise to God. Like, it's not when those chaotic things happen in our life, when we get the bad phone call that we're not expecting, that something terrible happened. God is not sitting up in heaven like, whoa, like, where did this come from? I did not see that coming. Like, what am I going to do about this? Like, that's how we respond, right? At least that's how I tend to respond when I get those phone calls. So there's this brief moment. I tell myself it's brief. It's probably like 30 minutes. But this brief moment, brief is all relative, uh, where I, there's this part of me that just wants to collapse, like, just wants to crumble under the weight of it all. But Jesus the whole time is saying, like, I knew this was coming, son. Like, I'm not surprised by this. And because we have the full counsel of Scripture, we know that in the end, Christ still wins, right? At one point in his teaching, Jesus said, in this world, you will have pain. Like, you will have trouble. But don't be discouraged because I've overcome. Like, I've already won. Like, that's the thing that we can hold on to. That regardless of how chaotic our life may feel, regardless of how chaotic the news might be on this, you know, grand world scale, or how chaotic our individual lives might be, we still know that God is still God, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I've found something in my life, I don't know if you found this too, where after there's something that happens in those chaotic times. There's something that happens in those really, really turbulent times in my life where there's like this shift that happens inside of me where like all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I know God better now. Like I learn a little bit more about him than I already knew right? I find out just a different facet of who he is. Like, I, I see him in a different way. It reminds me of the disciples. Um, 
Jesus walks on water twice, which I think is just great. He calms the storm twice. The first time it happens, they're like, who is this man? Like even the wind and the waves obey him. I think they probably send it, said it with that same kind of voice too. And then the second time it happens, they say, he's the son of God. Like they learn something different about him. Jesus had to do that thing twice so they finally get a glimpse of who he actually is. He's not just a really good man who does phenomenal things. He's the son of God. And I don't think we always realize that until we've experienced that just some chaos in our lives and we've seen him calm the storms of our own life and we've been able to stand firm in the midst of that. That's when we find out more about who he is. But Jesus doesn't end there. He keeps going in verse 9. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. Sounds like a terrible day. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as a witness to them. And here's the good news. And the gospel must be preached to all nations. Even in the midst of that, in the midst of all those terrible things happening, being flogged in the synagogues, which is Sounds like a really bad day to me. Jesus says, the gospel will be preached. The good news of the kingdom will continue to carry on. And that's something, if you look out at the church globally, you see that happening. In the parts of the world where there seems to be the most persecution, where it seems like faith, Christianity, is least likely to thrive just on paper, those are the places that is growing like wildfire. Why? Because the people people of God, our brothers and sisters, continue to stand firm. They continue to proclaim the name of Christ because the gospel must be spread throughout the ends of the earth. Whenever you are arrested, verse 11 now, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand what, you, what to say. Just say whatever it is given to you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. None of us like to be hated. Like if we're being honest with ourselves, there's never been a day in my life when I woke up in the morning and thought to myself, self how can you make people hate you today? Like, that's a good idea. Now, my kids, they may, they may disagree with me on that. They may think that there have been times that dad has said to himself, how can, how can I make my children hate me? It's, it just comes natural. It's one of my gifts. It's what I do. Uh, that's a joke. I don't actually try to do that. It just, just kind of happens sometimes. But, and we live in this world where like, it's, not, it's not good to have people hate us. We don't really like that. But that's exactly what Jesus says is going to happen to us. But he says, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. As we continue to stand firm on Christ, we know that he will win, that we will be saved, right? It works out in the end because that's who God is. Now, because we have the whole Bible, we know that Jesus isn't just like, hey guys, it's going to get really bad. Uh, Stand firm. Bye. And just kind of leave us to figure it out on our own. The Bible actually tells us, gives us clues as to how we can actually do that. So I have three things I'll share with you today that I think I found in my life help me and help us stand firm. So the first one is in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I think it's important to note that this is Paul's uh, last letter that we know of. 
Uh, it is a letter to his son in the faith, his beloved son in the faith, as Paul would call him. Um, and most scholars believe that Paul wrote it while he was in prison in Rome, awaiting his execution. So these are kind of Paul's last words to his son in the faith about how to live for God. He starts out at the beginning of chapter 3, talking, chapter, yeah, chapter three, talking about things going bad, people falling away from the faith. And then in verse 13, 14, he says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we're going to stand firm in times of chaos, whether that be in our personal lives or on a bigger scale than that, we need to be people who know God's Word. We need to be people who know what God's Word actually says. We need to be anchored in this truth of God's Word. Because we live in a world where truth feels like this kind of like fuzzy thing. It's kind of like hard to wrap your grips around. Or wrap your, that doesn't make any sense. Wrap your hands around. Like, and it just kind of moves and it's this kind of weird thing. But in all actuality, it's not. Like God's word is just as true as it was a thousand years ago, just as true as it was in the time like King David was alive, just as true as the time that Paul wrote this. It's still true today. And in this, we find life, right? So we need to be grounded in this truth. And that has to be more than just Sundays. That has to be more than just a sermon once a week. We need to be people who know God's word for ourselves, to know what it actually says. That's number one. If we're going to stand firm in times of chaos, we need to have a firm foundation of God's Word. The second one is found in Acts chapter 2, the early church, and that's community. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, describing the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There's the Word again. And to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by, all, by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad, sincere hearts. They didn't just eat because the food was good. They actually enjoyed each other's company, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If we're going to be people who stand firm, we need that type of community. We need people around us who love us enough to say, hey, like, like, you can get through this. We need people who love us enough to encourage us in difficult times. We need people who love us enough to come alongside us sometimes and say, what you're doing is wrong. Like, it's leading you to death, not to life. Like, we need to change things a little bit. We need people that we trust enough to be honest with to actually let them see inside of our lives. And speaking of being honest, can we be honest for a moment? That's really hard to do, isn't it? To be that kind of honest with people, to go to a brother or a sister in Christ and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this thing. Or I'm struggling with this idea. Like I know God's word is truth and it's secure and I can stand on it. But this thing over here, like it, it kind of feels right too. Can he help me work through this? We need people in our life who love us enough and that we trust enough to do that. We need to be open enough to do that. Because there will be times that we want to give up. 
I was telling somebody um, in between services with this Murph challenge thing, like there were days that I really didn't want to do it. There were days that I woke up in the morning, like I hurt everywhere. Like it just, everything hurts. I don't want to do this anymore. And oddly enough, those would be the days that somebody else would show up to do it with me. And God kind of provided that for me, that sense of community that I know you're not doing this thing alone. And I know that feels like such a small thing compared to what all of us are going through, but I think God uses those small little microcosm challenges in our life to teach us about these bigger issues. If we open ourselves up to it, God will put the people in our life that we need exactly when we need them. But we need to be open to that community and actually trust that God has a plan for that. So to be people who stand firm in the midst of chaos, we need the Word, we need community, and we have to be people of action. James chapter 1. My bookmark moved. There it is. James chapter 1, verse 22. He says this, Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And that seems obvious, doesn't it? Like, don't just look, like, do what it says. But if James was right in this, that means that there were people who, who didn't do what it said, just like there is today, just like there are times in my own life. Like, I know the right thing to do, but like, nah, like, I'm going to go ahead and do this thing instead. Like, I know eating the whole bag of Doritos is a bad idea, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways, right? Like, we do things like that, and James addresses that. Don't just listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We can't be people who just let God's word go in one ear and right out the other. And never actually take action on what it is God is speaking to us. His word is clear to us and it gives life. But sometimes we ignore it. But if we want people who stand firm in the midst of chaos, again, whether that's on a global scale or in our own lives, just a personal chaos that we may experience on a daily basis, we need to be people who are willing to take action on what it is God is asking us to do. And that takes faith. Because sometimes the thing God asks us to do puts us in a place where it feels like people hate us. Sometimes doing the thing that God asks us to do feels really, really uncomfortable. But if we trust him, he'll take it to the place where that's actually where the comfort is. Because he's the God of all comfort. He's not going to call us to be miserable forever. It'll feel miserable for a little while. But that's not where he wants us to stay. So regardless of what the situation is in your life. I'm sure all of us at one point or another have felt that kind of chaos. That kind of chaos where it feels like we take all of our plans, all of our hopes for the future, and take them to God or take them to others and say, look, look what's going on. And it feels like everything just falls apart. It just crumbles. It's just dust and ash. Those are the times that we most need to be people who stand on those things and trust that if God told us the it's going to get rough, then we can trust him that he knows exactly what it is that he's doing. That it's not a surprise to him. We can continue to trust in his word. We continue to trust in the community that he's put us in. We can continue to trust that if we live the way that he's asked us to live in his word, then we know that 
in the end, we will be saved. In the end, it will work out. Christ is still victorious, regardless of what it looks like in the moment. So as I go to the Lord in prayer, and we get ready to end the service with worship. If you're here today, and you're feeling that way, and it feels like everything's just kind of falling apart around you, you're more than welcome to have the worship team or the prayer team pray with you and allow God to do some work in your life. So I'll pray. Dear God, I thank you for today. I thank you, God, that we can trust you with our hope and with our future. We thank you that we know that your word is true and that you are not surprised by any of the chaos that we experience in our life. So God, today as we sing this last song, I pray that you would confirm that in our hearts. I pray that you would give us the strength we need to be people that stand firm regardless of what's going on around us. In your name we pray. Amen.